have your Bibles with you this morning, I want to encourage you to open them to Genesis 16. Genesis 16, as you're finding your place there in God's Word, uh, I want to share with you a really cool story that happened this week. Um, During the month of June, really all the summer, that's our mission trip month. That's when we send a lot of teams. And typically during the month of June, we probably have three, four mission teams going out. Uh, Pastor Jim went back and researched, and we figured up that if we had been doing what we'd have normally been doing this month, we would have spent uh, somewhere around $30,000 on missions. And, and we got together as a missions committee, and we decided, listen, we don't need to hang on to that money. We'd plan to spend it anyway. You guys have been faithful. Let's spend it on missions. Let's find some places to spend it. So we got a chance to sit down and talk about how we could bless some of our missionary partners. One of our biggest partners is Project Hope. Pa- Pastor Sam, I'm sure, mentioned them earlier. Uh, Project Hope. We've been working with them for a long time, and they're doing some really cool feeding and and food security items in Nicaragua. And we had prayed together. We decided, you know what, Lord placed on our heart to give them $25,000 to help them in their food service items down there. Well, what was really cool was Project Hope Leadership was here, Kim Bradley, David Patterson, Jeff Hart. They were all here. We asked them to come in. We didn't tell them anything we had prayed about and said, share with us what God's doing. Shared with us all the ways God's still working. Shared with us about the food stuff. Kim Bradley said, listen, what we normally do is we set aside two to three months of operating expenses to protect us if something goes bad. And he says, I've been clinging to that money like a miser. I need to hold on to it in case things get worse and we just want to hang on to it. But he said, as he was praying, God impressed on him, don't you hang on to that money. You give it and you feed those people. And he said, so you, you know, we, we, we realize it's probably going to take us about $25,000 to feed those kids and, and feed those families. Isn't that awesome? So Pastor Kelly shared shared with Kim, he said, Kim, guess what? God placed on our heart to give you $25,000. Now, don't tell me God's not good. You cannot outgive God. And he's pounded that home in my head many, many times. But I just say that because every time a situation like that happens, because I wish you could have been there, Kim Bradley, tears. David Patterson, tears. And I always think I wish you could be there. Because the reason we're able to do that ultimately is God, but, but it's ultimately because you're faithful to God. You've been faithful to give, and we get to be a part of it. I wish you could have been in the room, because we all just had a time of worshiping the Lord and His goodness and His providence. So thank you, thank you, thank you, church family, for being faithful in your giving. Well, we're going to look at God's faithfulness this morning, even despite the fact that Abraham's not always faithful to God. We've seen Abraham. God made a covenant with him. I'm going to give you land. I'm going to make you a great nation. And through you, I'm going to bless all the nations of the world. And what does God do? He goes to work testing Abraham. He's testing him. He's proving out our faith, his faith, just as God. God does in our life. He leads us in to test whereby God grows us in our faith. We're all today, if you trusted in Christ, you're in a school of faith. And what is God doing? He's teaching you to trust him. What God does, he goes to work. He's knocking out props. He's knocking out all these other things that we trust. And he's teaching us that all we really need is him. That's what he's doing in Abraham's life. Well, this morning he comes to a new test, and it's the test of patience. How many of us just really enjoy patience? Boy, I love waiting on things. Now, we don't like patience. And in the midst of this, Abraham's going to struggle. In fact, he's going to make a mess. And I really believe God records these things for our benefit. It is by the providence of God that we've come to this passage in this text this morning. And I believe God's got something he wants you to hear. So let's pray together, then we'll work our way through this text. Father, we thank you for your word. God, I pray that we never get over the fact that you have spoken to us. 
that you have revealed yourself to us in your word so that we can know who you are, know who we are, and know how we're to interact with you, how we're to walk. Thank you for the example of Abraham. And thank you, Lord, even before we study this text, <laughs> of the reminder of your faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness. Lord, teach us, instruct us this morning. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, let's look, verses 1 through 6. We're going to see Abraham's failure. Look there, verse 1. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, bore him no children, and she had an Egyptian maid whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, Now behold, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I'll obtain children through her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. After Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Abram's wife took Sarai, uh, wife Sarai took Hagar the Egyptian, her maid, and gave her to her husband Abram as his wife. He went into Hagar and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her sight. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done me be upon you. I gave my maid into your arms, but when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her sight. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your maid is in your power to do, what her is, to do to her what is good in your sight. So Sarai treated her harshly, and she fled from her presence. Here we see that Abraham's failure occurs within a season of waiting. Waiting upon God to fulfill his promises. God has made promise, I'm going to give you a son. Abraham, he's reiterated that promise. So God makes a promise, and here we are 10 years later. We're 10 years into the story, and what has happened so far in terms of the fulfillment of that promise to give him a son? Nothing's happened. In fact, in many ways, you could say whatever's happened has happened in the opposite direction of having a child, because now it seems like it's more impossible because they're 10 years older than they were when this whole deal began. So God made a promise to them, makes a wonderful promise, and then nothing happens, or it feels like nothing's happened. And I wish that I could tell you this morning that that is the exception, not the norm. I wish I could tell you that the way God normally works is he makes you a promise, he gives you his word, he gives you some direction or clarity in your life, and then God automatically snaps to it and things just start falling into place and everything happens just like you'd want it. But I'm here to tell you this morning, according to God's word, that's very rarely how it works out. That God oftentimes will give us a promise, give us a word, give us direction or clarity on some issue of our life, and then the very next thing that happens is nothing. Or it appears that no, as though nothing is happening. Certainly this is what happened in Job's life. You can look at Joseph's life and see the same thing. David is an incredible example of this. David, God anoints him as king, and what happens next? He just goes back to shepherding. 14 years before the guy will actually be anointed king. David had to wait on God. Paul had to wait on God. You want to do an interesting study, look throughout Scripture at all the occurrences of wait upon the Lord. I looked this week, I looked at 30 different occurrences. I think I was just scratching the surface of all the times that God's Word says wait upon the Lord. Every great man or woman of faith had to go through a season of waiting. And this waiting, God developing our patience, is a part of our spiritual growth. It's an essential part of our spiritual growth, but, but it's not enjoyable, is it? As I said, none of us, like, I've never heard somebody say, boy, I went out to eat the other night, and the line was out the door, and I just said, thank you, Jesus. I just can't wait to wait, and it's just so much fun. No, we don't like to wait. Uh, I call it the, the, the broccoli and carrots of spiritual growth. It's part of it. It's essential part of the diet, but none of us like it. We don't enjoy it. In fact, you know what the Greek word is for patience 
in the New Testament. It's often translated long-suffering, but it's the word macrothumia. Doesn't that just sound disgusting? I think Wyatt said it sounded like a disease. It just sounds nasty. None of us like to wait upon God, but what is God doing? If it's so essential, what is God doing? Well, number one, we know that God in Abraham and Sarah's life, he's growing them in their faith. In fact, he's waiting on them to trust him. See, the problem is not Isaac. It's no problem for God to make a baby. Isaac's not the problem. The parents are the problem. That Abraham and Sarah are not ready for what their spirit desires. Have you ever thought about that when you're praying for something that you're just saying, God, why won't this just happen now? You're praying on something you know that's good and it's right and you're just praying that it'll come to fruition. Did you ever stop to think that maybe your soul isn't ready for what your spirit desires? That maybe, just maybe, God is protecting you from something that you think you really need right now, but if you really got it, it'd knock you cross-eyed. You know what I mean? That you're not ready. And him saying not now is his means of loving, care, and protection over your life. So God is teaching them to trust him. He's teaching them, I know better than you know about the fulfillment of this promise. Not only is he teaching them to trust him, but he's letting the odds stack up against him. And God loves to do this. God loves to let the situation, you read scripture and you find this out a lot. He just loves for the odds to stack up so that if there's victory, so if it comes about, the only explanation will be God is gracious and faithful and merciful. You, you, in fact, you look in this situation and Abraham with Hagar, he has a son, doesn't he? Um, which proves what? It proves that old Abraham still got a little life left in him. And if Abraham and Sarah have a child at this point, guess what? Abraham could take a little credit for it. But God is going to wait until Abraham and Sarah are dead, reproductively speaking. He's going to wait until there is no chance that they could ever take credit for the production of a child at that point. And isn't that the way God often works in our lives? He waits until we've, we've exhausted all other options and all that remains is, God, if you don't work in power, we're done. And those are the situations that God loves because when God moves in those situations, you can't take any credit. So God is teaching them. He's, he's, he's letting the odds stack up against them for his glory. And what are Abraham and Sarah called to do? They're called to just wait upon the God, God by trusting him and being faithful in the everyday ordinary activities of life. Some of you right now in your life, you're waiting for something. You want something to occur. Can I just challenge you this morning? Just be faithful in what you already know God has called you to do. In other words, it bloom where you're planted. Wherever God has placed you now, you just be faithful to what God has called you to. What Abraham and Sarah are intended to do is be faithful in their household. Be faithful in their marriage. Be faithful in the clear things and, and today and trust God with tomorrow. But Abraham and Sarah in the season of waiting, boy, they fall into some traps. And this is a good warning for all of us because I think all of us, if we're not careful, we're in danger of falling into these same traps. And the first trap is this. If you wait on God long enough, you'll have a tendency to begin to question God's goodness. You'll have a tendency to question God's goodness. 
And you really see this in verse 2 because Sarah says what? Sarah in verse 2, so Sarah said to Abram, Now behold, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. What is the emotion that's coming out in Sarah right there? She's mad. She's growing bitter. Now, we got to cut her a little slack. She's been waiting for 10 years. We're not talking about 10 months or 10 minutes. I get frustrated after 10 minutes of waiting. She's been waiting for 10 years over something that God promised her he would do in her life. But the danger for any of us is the longer we wait upon God for the fulfillment of his promises in our life, the more we have a tendency to begin to believe maybe God's not for us. Maybe God's against us, as Andy Griffith would say. You, know, you, listen, you watch Andy Griffith and you start saying words like again, not against, you know. And that's a side note, I'm getting sidetracked. But you begin to think that maybe God's not good. Maybe God's not for us. Maybe God's against us. You know, in Mark chapter 4, Jesus sends the disciples to the other side of the sea, and they get in the boat. You'll remember they get in the boat, and they're, they're going across, and what happens? A great storm comes upon them, and what is Jesus doing? He's sleeping. And what do they do? They run over to him and say, Lord, do you not care that we are perishing? Lord, we're dying here, and it looks like you're doing nothing, that you're completely indifferent to our circumstances. Any of you feel that way this morning? That, Lord, the, the, the bank account's getting lower. The, 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 the job situation's not getting any brighter. The sickness isn't getting any better. The loneliness isn't subsiding. And it feels like either you're completely indifferent to my circumstances or at very worst, it feels like you're just being downright mean. And boy, all of us. See, it's easy, it's easy to trust God in kind of a general sense that God is the ruler of the universe, but it's a completely different deal to trust in God and his providence when the world around you is falling apart. But folks, that's where the rubber meets the road. That's where our faith gets baptized in reality. To me, that's the greatest test of faith. When you have to trust in God when it feels like everything else in your life is contrary to what he's called you to do. So Abraham and Sarah are going to have to trust in God. But they're beginning to think, Sarah at least, is beginning to think some some incorrect thoughts about God and who he is and about his love for her. And if you think long enough about God and you start thinking incorrectly about who God is, guess what you'll do? You'll make some very, very bad choices. And that's what Sarah does. In the midst of this, she devises her own little plan. She's going to help God out as if God needed her help. But she's, she's going to come up with it. And by the way, in, in those first six verses, guess what name is, men, is not mentioned in those first six verses? No mention of God. Sarah, is, I think the thought of Sarah is if I can't have a child with God, I'll just go around God. And she stopped praying, and now she's planning. You see, that's when we get in danger. When we stop seeking God and his counsel and his wisdom, we start making our own plans. So she comes up with a plan. Look at her plan, the latter portion of verse 2. She said to Abram, please go into my maid, uh, and, and I'll obtain children through her. And Abraham listened to the voice of Sarah. Now, if you've never read this story before, you don't know how it ends. If you read any part of her plan, any part of your plan, how many of you say, boy, what an incredible plan. This is going to work out beautifully. Son, that woman's a genius. She has come up with an excellent plan. Bring another wife into this deal. We'll have another. Yeah, that's going to work out great. But that's the point, isn't it? 
that when you're not thinking correctly about God and you're not seeking God, you'll have a tendency to make some very dumb choices. See, our beliefs always affect our behavior. She's not thinking about, right about God. She makes a bad decision. And Abraham's going to go along with it. The picture that you see here is the family, to some extent, is in disarray. Abraham is no longer leading, he's listening. Now, now, men, we know as husbands, we must listen, but we must also lead. Did Abraham have to go along with this plan? (laughs) Sarah's not holding a knife to his neck. What should Abraham have done? Abraham should have done what any logical, reasonable man would have done. He should have said, woman, you done gone crazy. There's no way we're bringing another woman in here. I'm having enough trouble just taking care of you. We're not doing that. But Abraham goes along with it. You know, what's interesting, you get down to verse 5, and who does Sarah blame for the whole situation? She blames Abraham. And the first first time I read this, I thought, my gracious woman, you came up with the plan. What are you blaming Abraham for? He's just trying to keep a happy home. But the more I thought about it, guess what? She's right. The responsibility, the brunt of the responsibility rests upon Abraham's shoulder. Why? Because God called him to be the spiritual leader and the spiritual protector of his home. Abraham has abdicated his responsibility as a spiritual leader and a spiritual protector of his family. And as a result, he's put his entire family in a bad spot. Another another powerful picture here is, ladies, wives, you have an incredible influence over your husband. Whether you know it or not, you have an incredible influence. You know, it's, you do the Ephesians 5 things. Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. And a lot of talk about those things, about the husband being the head of the, the marriage and the family. And you know the statement, the husband may be the head, but the wife is the neck, and the neck moves the head. Amen? Wives, you got a lot of influence here. It's been said that Sarah could have married Douglas MacArthur. But Abraham's not going to fight with her over the leadership of the home. And in most situations, I'll tell you wives, most situations, most husbands will not fight with you for the leadership of the home. Now that does not get Abraham off the hook. He should have stepped up. But it's a good reminder to all of us, and it works vice versa, doesn't it? Husbands, do you have a great amount of influence over your wife's spiritual health? Yes, you do. Good question for all of us today. Are you influencing your spouse to walk more closely with Jesus today? And by the way, if you're looking for a mate right now, if you're looking for a spouse, you know the number one quality you need to be looking for and all the other issues that you're thinking about and compatibility, the number one question you should be asking is, does that person challenge me to walk more closely with Jesus? So... This family, they're making some bad choices, all of them. They're all involved in this deal. There's, all, there's enough fault to go around to everybody, but it all began with some bad thoughts about God, bad decisions, and guess what? It leads to bad consequences. Now, not initially. Initially, there's some success, right? I mean, initially, they have a child. And oftentimes, our ill-conceived plans work out well, at least initially. It's always initially, it's always easier to compromise. Always easier to compromise. 
Um, you know, God's not giving you the money that you want, and you see all these other people living a certain way, and you think you deserve it. It's a whole lot easier just to go throw down a credit card and say, I'm going to cut some short, shortcut here, and I'm going to get it. And initially, it might work out well. It might be initially pleasurable, but 10 years down the road, when you're still trying to dig yourself out of debt, it ain't so fun anymore. A lot of young couples, you know, they're, they're thinking about marriage, but they decide, well, we, we know how God's designed this whole marriage thing, but we think we're going to start living together, move in together, because financially it makes sense and everybody else is doing it. By the way, this whole custom of using as a maid to have another child, that was the way of the world back then. But the real, that's the issue. The real question is, are they going to stick out from the world and trust in God? See, they got an advantage. They've heard a word from God. They know what they should do. And a lot of people out there say, I know what God's word says, but I'm going to cut some corners. And sometimes it works out, at least initially it works out well. But unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, labor in vain. And I want to tell you this morning, it's a truth that you can write down and take it to the bank. Disobedience to God, it may initially work out well, but disobedience to God in the end always ends in various forms of misery. Not Missouri. <laughs> misery you look at the situation all of them are miserable now they came up with a great plan looks like it's working out well but what happens Hagar is miserable she's being treated harshly by Abraham and Sarah Sarah you would think Sarah would be happy her plan worked but now she's miserable and guess what old Abraham he's probably most miserable of all of them because mom is not happy and he's got a maid who's run off, and she's burying his child, and he's thinking, what are we going to do here? And if you read this story at this point, it, it, it's so fun. If you read God's Word, we already know the ending, don't we? Which is good. But when you read God's Word, sometimes try to think of it as if you don't know the end of the story. Because if you read this, if you're just reading this for the very first time, I don't know about you, but I would think Abraham's goofed the whole deal up. There's no way that this can work out. There's no way that this man's going to become the father of a great nation. There's no way this guy's going to end up being in the hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. But guess what we're going to find out? Even though Abraham's not faithful, God is always faithful. Amen? You know what we're seeing time and time again? That Abraham's salvation and God's covenant with him is not based on his character, but it's based on God's. And what God starts, he always finishes. Now, what we see initially in chapter 16 is that God is going to be faithful to Hagar. Look with me at verse, these verses really briefly. In verse 17, now the angel of the Lord found her. Who is the her? That is Hagar. Hagar is the victim in this. Hagar's just caught up in a bad situation. She's caught up in the sinfulness of two people who are supposed to be a part of God's people. She's a victim. And it says, the angel of the Lord found her. Now, the angel of the Lord, the angel of the Lord, this is the first appearance of the angel of the Lord. You're going to see the angel of the Lord throughout the Old Testament all the way through Zechariah. And the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament is always a visible manifestation of God. The angel of the Lord never refers to himself as an angel. He always refers to himself as God. In fact, he always takes divine prerogative to himself. I truly believe with all my heart that this is a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ, the Word of God. 
Now think about this. This is mind-blowing. The first instance where we see Jesus, who is eternal. He's always existed. But this is a first physical manifestation. Not an incarnation. The incarnation occurs in the New Testament. But a physical manifestation in the Old Testament. The first time he shows up, who does he show up to? Now this is powerful, folks. He shows up to an Egyptian maid who is broken down and running from a sinful situation and God comes to her. Folks, if this doesn't speak to us about the goodness and the graciousness of the God that we serve, that he is a God who seeks and saves the lost. Those who are outside his people, outside his nation. And he comes to her and the angel of the Lord found her. Notice, he found her. She didn't go looking for God. But God found her and God wraps her arm, his arms around her and says, where are you going in verse 8? And she says, I'm fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarah. And what does God say in verse 9? Then the angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit yourself to her authority. Now this is interesting. This sounds very harsh. Why, why would God tell her to go back? I mean, it's a bad situation. These two people have treated her incredibly harshly. In fact, you, you read this and you think, how would this woman ever come to faith in God? The people who are supposed to manifest God, the people who are supposed to be a display of God's glory, Abraham and Sarah, have treated her very sinfully. How is this woman ever going to come to faith in God? And now God's calling her to go back to these people who have treated her harshly? Do you know what I think though God's doing right here? He's telling, <laughs> he's going to tell Abraham and Sarah, you can't run from the consequences. See, I think Abraham and Sarah say, she's gone, and we feel bad about it, but it's out of sight, out of mind, right? God says, not so fast. Does God forgive our sins? You bet he does. But does God sometimes make us belly up to the consequences of our sin? Yes, he does. And guess what God's going to do? He's going to say, Abraham, you're going to have to raise this child. You don't get out of the responsibility. And in fact... Um, God's going to show up and speak to him in 17. It's going to be 13 years later, which 13 years old is a big number for the Jewish. That's when a boy becomes a man in, in Jewish culture. God says, you're going to raise him to manhood, and then we'll talk about the plan after that. But you better be faithful to your mess right here. That son is important to me. So God tells her to go home. He makes some incredible promises to her. And in verse 11, the angel of the Lord or verse 10, moreover, the angel of the Lord said to her, I'll greatly multiply your descendants so that there'll be too many to count. We know that this, this, this line from Ishmael is going to be the Arab nation. In verse 11, the angel of the Lord said to her further, behold, you're with child and you'll bear a son and you shall call his name Ishmael. You know what Ishmael, you know what the name means? It means God hears. Now, did Hagar cry out to God? Did Hagar pray? We got no indication that Hagar prayed. But in this beautiful God, in fact, it's what it says, Ishmael, because the Lord has given heed to your affliction. God heard her affliction even when she wasn't crying out to God. Folks, if you're not overwhelmed by the grace of God in this passage, you're missing it. Do you realize sometimes when you are so hurt in your life and you're going through so much pain that you don't even know how to pray, do you know this today that God still hears you in your affliction? That's the greatness of the God we serve. So he heard her. And in verse 12, he, he will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand will be against him. And he'll live to the east of his brothers. And then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You're a God who sees. For she said, I have even remained alive here after seeing him. So powerful. The, 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 the picture here is there, there's a message here in and of itself. But this is a picture of salvation for those of us who are outside the people of God. 
that none of us woke up one day and said, we're going to go find God today, but God found us, didn't he? And he found us in our affliction. He found us in our brokenness. And guess what? He heard us, and he sees us, and he graciously gave life to us by means of faith. Isn't that a powerful picture here? Do you see what God is doing here? I wish we'd spend more time here, but this is a powerful picture of how Abraham and Sarah have made a mess, and guess what God does? In his faithfulness, he comes behind them and begins to pick up all the pieces of the mess that they have made, and he begins to turn it around for Hagar's good and for their good and for his glory. In fact, when we get into chapter 17, we're going to look at it next week, God's going to give them a new name for himself. Guess what that name is? It's El Shaddai. God Almighty. He's going to say, Abraham, I'm the God who can even work despite all your messes and turn them around for your good and for my glory. He's going to give Abraham a new name. You're not just going to be exalted father. I'm going to double down on the promise. When everybody else would give up on you, I'm going to say, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. And Sarah, even though you've struggled, guess what? I'm going to change your name too. You're not going to be Sarai. You're going to be Sarah. You're going to be the mother of many kings. How do you go from being a woman who's struggling and making bad decisions to being the woman of many kings? I'll tell you how you do it. By the almighty power of the gracious God who is always faithful. I don't know where you're at today. Maybe you're in a season of waiting and you're struggling and you're thinking about giving up and you're struggling with patience. See, here's the deal. We struggle with patience. Patience is easy for God. He is a patient God. Anybody here grateful that God is patient with you? (laughs) And I pray often, God, thank you for not giving up on me. Because if I had been you, I'd have given up a long time ago. And if you're waiting on God today, listen, God is always faithful. It may not come about in your time and your way, but God is always faithful. If you're here this morning, you've fallen down, maybe in a season of waiting, you made some bad choices, bad decisions with bad consequences. Can I tell you today, don't give up on God because he is always faithful. Just go back to him. He's a God who still loves you and still has purposes for you, and he's the God who can take your messes and turn them into your good and his glory. And if you're here today and you feel like everybody else around you has been unfaithful and people have treated you harshly and maybe you feel like the victim and the outsider today, can I tell you today, God is faithful. He's the God who found you, the God who sees you, the God who hears you, and the God who will put his arms around you and lift you up and make grand promises to you if you'll turn to him. You know, more than the unfaithfulness of Abraham and Sarah, what we're really seeing here is the remarkable faithfulness of the God we serve. You know that hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness? Great is Thy Faithfulness. Uh, It was written um, by a man who's not very well known. I think his last name is Chisholm. Um, And he was was a school teacher at 16, and and then he got called into ministry, and, and, uh, and he had to leave the ministry because of a health issue in his life, and had to go and find another way to make a living, and he struggled throughout his life, but he was a prolific poem writer. He wrote these poems, and one of those poems was Great is Thy Faithfulness, and he sent it. He wasn't a talented musician, but he sent them to a friend named William William Runyon, who uh, was with Moody Bible Institute, and William Runyon received that poem or received the series of poems. He was actually, William Runyon was at making a visit in Baldwin, Kansas, of all places, and he was going through those poems, and that, that, that poem, Great is Thy Faithfulness, stuck out to him, and he put it to music. 
But the real story there is the guy who wrote it, this Chisholm guy, the story behind that is he was just going through all these struggles and God hadn't worked out like he wanted and circumstances hadn't, hadn't been real good to him and he had never had much in his life. But as he looked back over the circumstances, you know what he said? Great is the faithfulness of God. Great is thy faithfulness. I don't know where you're at today, but God is the God who is faithful.